0: It's a privilege to dig into the word this morning with you. Um, I don't know, I just feel overwhelmed with love. Uh, Let me pray. God, we love you. Lord, thank you for first loving us. And um, I'll just take this time, be glorified, worshipped, honored through this time in your word, Holy Spirit. Open up our eyes. More and more in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, So many of us uh, know the old movie called It's a Wonderful Life, Black and White, one of the best old Christmas movies. Uh, It begins with a guy named George Bailey. It's Christmas time, husband, father of four, uh, but he's in huge financial crisis and just overall really depressed in life. The evil banker, Mr. Potter, has exploited George, sort of frames him, and then basically tells him, you're worth more dead than alive because of his life insurance policy. And so George goes to um, a bridge and is about to end his life when this angel appears. And to walk George back from the edge takes George to this alternate reality of the small town that he lives in. Like what it would be like if he never existed. And so George goes throughout the town, uh, not really knowing that it was an alternate reality. No one recognizes him. His wife uh, doesn't recognize him, doesn't know him. His mom doesn't. His kids don't exist. And so George is just completely in despair, as you can imagine. He calls out to his angel, and the next thing you know, he's back on uh, the bridge but now, his eyes have been completely opened. The life that he was about to leave by jumping, because of how bad he thought it was, now is amazing. It's amazing because he has his wife back, his kids exist, his friends back. The famous scene of him running down the, the uh, street, wishing everyone Merry Christmas at the top of his lungs, George realized what he already had, but was blinded to. He realized what he already had, but was blinded to. And I just think of how that can happen uh, with us as Christians. Our eyes can grow dim. Our faith can wane. Even though we're standing on such a firm foundation and amazing truths, We can lose our joy of salvation, our awe of God. Maybe you've gone through some hard things in life and it's just taken it out of you. Or or you've had experience with other people who call themselves Christians and it's really just been a gut punch. We can lose the passion that we had when our relationship with God first began. And so how can we regain or obtain a joy of salvation, passion, the ability to see clearly all that we have so clearly that everything else in life grows dim in the light of God's glory? The passage that we're in this morning, I believe, shows the way. Um, continuing our series in Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, uh, going backwards a bit because I had to switch with Doug because we were sick a couple weeks ago. I would also say, man, give Doug a round of applause for how flexible he is and being, being able to do a sermon in like three days or, um, man. Ephesians one fifteen to 23, verse 15 The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the same, as the, is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the ones to come. And God placed all things under his feet, And appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I was singing too much, so now I got to drink water a lot. Um, So, sort of big picture here, Paul gets done in the first half of uh, chapter one weeks ago. I think Don Stuber uh, preached on the first half of chapter one. Describing, reminding them of all that is true of them since they've believed on Jesus,
1: adopted into the family of God, For redemption with the. And he said, these. giving thanks. You stand there, and then thanks for them, and a spirit thanks for them.
0: Why? Says he's heard about their their faith and their love for all God's people. Those are two things I think that it would be cool to be talked about, right? Do, like, can we say that is true of us as a church? People hear about our faith and our love for all God's people, and can you say that is true of you
1: personally? Uh, Like, do people hear about people? People were
0: talking about the love the Ephesians had for all God's people, their faith, it was evident, and Paul thanks God for that. And then it's interesting because Paul basically then shares with them what he's praying for them. And something came to my mind with this. I did a survey a few years back of the New Testament, and I marked all the prayers prayed in Scripture, like all the prayers that are written out. It was something like over 30 prayers where the the
1: authors uh, didn't just said, I'm praying for you, but but wrote out the prayer. Here as well, he's being
0: an example of praying out loud not just silently, not just saying, I'll be praying for you, but out loud with them. And obviously, there's a time uh, where it's great to say, you know, I'll be praying for you, and uh, I do that all the time, and I'll continue to do that. But how encouraging it is to just stop and pray out loud for a person right there. I mean, honestly, sometimes I do that because I really want to pray for them, but I just might not if I don't do it right there, honest confession. But it's sad because sometimes um, we think we need to pray some kind of uh, performance-oriented prayer. Like like if we're going to pray out loud with someone or in a group, that it has to be this uh, elegant, like grandiose prayer. Uh, And it grieves me. Uh, that Satan uses that so much that we often don't pray with others out loud. Another barrier for me is like, oh man, I don't want to appear like super spiritual and hyper spiritual. When most of the time that's a lie. But it grieves me because what is prayer? Prayer is just simply talking with God. Right? It's not a performance. It's not a production. Sometimes we make it like that, unfortunately. But it's being authentic and real with another person, God. And so it's sort of humorous, you know, when we don't like to talk to God in front of others, uh, especially believers. Like imagine how weird it would be if um, when Matt Miller and Doug Rumbled and I are in a room. And uh, I can talk to Doug in front of Matt all day, but I just don't feel comfortable talking to Matt in front of Doug. If I were constantly worried about how it would come off to Doug. Maybe he would think some of my wording that I use with Matt is weird, and so I'm just not going to talk to Matt in front of Doug. It's funny to think about it that way. But there would be a dysfunction in that friendship, right? And in that friend group. And that's sort of what's going on when we don't feel comfortable talking with God in front of others, especially believers. And I say this to be like freeing, like a freeing thing. The pressure's off. So anyway, that's just one thing I thought about as Paul goes into this prayer for the Ephesians. And once again, all these gl- glorious positional truths, first half of Ephesians. And then for this reason, Paul says he prays that they'd be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And why? So that they would know him better, so that they would know God better but you know like by the sounds of the first half of Ephesians it, like they don't need to know God better it, it doesn't seem that they know, need to know God better that once you see all that's true of them with God but Paul's prayer is that they would know God better and so the question is are you convinced that you need to know God better? are we convinced that that we need to know God better, better? Do we have a desire to know God better? And then Paul includes three ways of what it means to know God better in this passage. We have a little list, uh, and I have those highlighted. Um, He prays that their eyes would be enlightened so that they would know three things. Yeah. The hope to which God's called them, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those that believe. And so number one, the hope to which God has called them, obviously eternal life, amazing. Uh, The second one perplexed me at first uh, because it seems that it doesn't make sense. Uh, So three questions. Uh, What is an inheritance? What is the inheritance? And who gets it here? So one, an inheritance is something legally received from a person at his or her death. Two, the inheritance in this verse is his holy people. And then who gets the inheritance? God. If you notice there, his referring to God's glorious inheritance. Where? In his holy people. And so Jesus died And God the Father received us because Jesus died in our place. And more than that, what are we referred to? Those of us who are in Christ, we are God's glorious inheritance. We are a glorious inheritance. And I'm like, what? Me? A glorious inheritance to God? Who owns all things and created all things? Like, it reminds me of the verse in Hebrews where it says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Like, we are God's joy. It's not just that God is our joy. We are his joy. We are described as the riches that God the Father receives because of Jesus' death. And I wonder, do you believe that about yourself? I struggle to believe that. I find it way more easy to just focus on my sin and my shortcomings and my annoyances and not that God delights in me. And from what I've seen, most Christians struggle with seeing that they are indeed worth riches to God. The ESV study Bible says it this way. The inheritance here is not the Christian's inheritance, but his or God's. This indicates how precious his people are to God. They are, so to speak, what he looks forward to enjoying forever. God looks forward to enjoying us forever. Like I always think of heaven uh, as like us enjoying God forever. But this is a two-way street. He will be enjoying us forever. Forever, there is a mutual delight for all eternity. And so, side note, it's no wonder that Scripture likens our relationship to God, uh, with God to, to marriage, where there is mutual pleasure and mutual delight in each other in intimacy. Like, there's a mutuality there. It's amazing. Eyes open. Holy Spirit, I open our eyes to such truths. That's what he's praying here. And then the third thing that Paul prays that they would know God better through is knowing his incomparably great power for those that believe. Um, The Greek for that phrase is uh, of like incomparably great power. Three words, and I'm not going to pronounce them right, is hyperbolo megathos dynamis. dynamite? that's what I say. Can you tell he's trying to get the point across here? It's the power that rose Jesus from the dead. It's ours. We are going to rise from the dead and live for all eternity. By God's power, Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered the power of death. And by God's power, he lives in us. And we see later in Ephesians 3.16 that that this hyper-mega dynamite, it's his Holy Spirit in us. Ephesians 3.16. But that's how Christ lives in us. And so those are the three ways that we know God better through in this passage. And there's a reason why Paul is praying this for the Ephesians. And there is a reason why we are to be praying this way for ourselves and others. For the Holy Spirit to give, like, sight to our dim eyes. Revelation, wisdom, understanding. Because a sensitivity to these truths, especially the truths in the first half of Ephesians 1. A sensitivity to these truths doesn't come from ourselves. We we can't manufacture it. And, and, and remaining sensitive to these truths can't be maintained by us. We are desperate for the Spirit to open up our eyes on a continual basis to those three things. In particular, in, particular in this passage, the hope to, of salvation that we have, um, to our realization of our true identity and worth in Christ, to the power of Christ living in us. We need God's Spirit 1 Corinthians 2, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit is from God, so that we might understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit. Explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them Because they are discerned only through the Spirit. If we have placed our faith in Christ, Scripture is very clear that we have the Spirit of Christ living in us. That gives us understanding. But Scripture is also very clear that we can grieve that same Holy Spirit with our sin. And we can quench the Holy Spirit with our sin. Here's a quote from a commentary I really liked. Uh, the, the Christian life could be described as getting to know God better, better every day. A friendship which which does not grow closer with the years tends to vanish with the years, and it is so with us and God. In other words, it's about growing in Christ and not aging in Christ. It's about growing in Christ and not just aging in Christ. It's so easy, in fact, it's the default for us is if nothing changes, to just start to coast in our relationship with God and start thinking we've learned all we need to learn about God and start thinking, you know, we've experienced all that we're going to experience about who God is and, you know, my big faith steps, you know, they're in the past. Hearing from God and him speaking so clearly to me, oh, that's in the past so thankful that's happened. Now I'm just going to coast. No. It clearly says in verse 15, or 17, we need to know God better. Sometimes I work with Christian freshmen on college campuses, and they think they know, they think they've experienced everything they have to experience about God. And so how much more so are older people going to start believing that? There is so much more that we have to learn about God even in this life, and not just emo- not, sorry, not just intellectual truths, not just intellectual truths about God in, in Scripture. I'm talking like there's a difference between knowing intellectually the hope that we have in salvation and eternal life, for example, and knowing that we have eternal life. Being blown away by that, being in awe because of that, like what? Eternity with God, perfect health, renewed bodies, pure relationships, not struggling with sin or strife or suffering any longer. And there's a difference between, yeah, I have a joy of salvation, and I have a joy of salvation. It transcends life circumstances. You know, in passion, it looks different in different people, right? Not everyone gets all excited and loud like I do. Passion comes out differently because of different personalities. Please hear that. So don't just compare yourself to others, please. Be set free. But what we all have is a need to see more clearly the things of God and to experience more fully some of these truths that we've always known our whole lives, maybe. The simplest truths, like knowing the hope to which He's called us. No need to find speculation and additional doctrine. To arouse interest in us again. The primary thing, hear me now. The primary thing we continually need is to see clearly the plain truths of scripture in a deeper way. With the depth of understanding that the Spirit alone gives, and revelation that the Spirit alone gives, seeing how the same truths. And the same gospel that we've always known are relevant and applicable in new ways in our life that we could have never imagined. For example, uh, a few years ago, Jen had all her health problems, especially her difficult ones. Um, and I always knew before that that God was my help in my time of need and trouble, and that he heard my prayers. But through that period, wow, the Spirit really opened up my eyes to how God is my help in trouble and how he does answer when I call on him fervently and persistently. The Greek word in uh, verse 17 for revelation means a disclosure of truth, making visible to dim eyes. And then it says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He's talking to believers here who know all of the things in the first half of Ephesians. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Enlightened means to give light, to illuminate, to become clear. So what truths do you desperately want to see more clearly this morning? Or in your time in life, what do you want to see more clearly? Have your eyes dimmed where, yeah, you know the truth, but it just doesn't hit you like it used to. In other words, you've given into the lie that the whole concept of a honeymoon phase in human marriage applies to our relationship with God. That's a lie. There's no honeymoon phase in the Bible with God. Or maybe these truths have never hit you deeply. And the answer is not to read the Bible more and to pray more and to go to church more and to listen to more sermons and to do more. Yes, those are likely part of the answer, but that's not the ultimate answer. The ultimate answer is found in the text. God is the one that gives light to the eyes. The one who discloses truth in the power of his spirit gives us understanding of the word, the Bible. We can read and study the Bible all day, but if the spirit isn't giving light to our eyes as we read, then we're just simply checking off a task. And by the way, you know, the, one, the number one, I've already mentioned a little bit, but the number one way that the Spirit doesn't give light to our eyes is unconfessed sin. We can grieve and quench the Holy Spirit. So we must begin by confession and simply asking God for His Spirit to give light to our dim eyes again. We acknowledge, hear me now, we acknowledge that we can't do enough to open up our eyes and reignite a passion for him. We acknowledge to God that we don't have a passion anymore. Or we're just kind of seeing church and God and the Bible as a little boring, to be honest. This morning is a time of confession. It's a time of acknowledgement. No more am I going to settle for this. Status quo, leave. Leave. Full speed ahead until the day I die. Join me in that, right? Amen? And so if we're called to do anything, which we are, it's first and foremost to surrender. It's not open up that Bible and spend two hours in the morning just trying, trying, trying. It's surrender. It's saying, God, no matter how much I read the word, I'm just dry. It's surrender, admit, and confess. It's just so crazy how we can bring man's pride into religion just like that. This morning's a time of confession. It's an opportunity at least. It's an opportunity for confession and acknowledgement. Yet another that God has given you. He is so gracious. But the opportunities end. You will die someday. We will die someday. The opportunities will end. And a lot of people, according to Scripture and according to what Jesus says, are going to be surprised on Judgment Day. There's a lot of surprising going on on Judgment Day, according to Jesus. And so we go all out in this life to make our calling and election sure not out of a works-based, oh, I have to earn it, but just like, God, I want to be with you for all eternity. Like, that's my one desire. So join join me and join others in just renewed confession this morning. Have you grown mediocre in your love for God? May be bored with God. Ask to be filled with the Spirit like he does in this prayer. <clears throat> I studied Proverbs 2 recently, and it kind of describes this resolve we must have to seek God. God, for deeper understanding and for wisdom and awe, he's the one that gives it. Proverbs 2, and I highlighted just a few of the action verbs. If you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear or awe of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. There is an example in abandon here when it says call out and cry aloud. You don't care that other people see you seeking the Lord with fervency. When you're calling out and when you're crying aloud, we seek God to change us and help us to see because we can't do this with any resources that we have within us. And once again, Not only asking for ourselves, but what Paul is modeling here. He's asking this sort of thing for other believers too. You know, we too often think, oh, they're Christian. They're good, right? Look at the first half of Ephesians 1. They're good. I need to pray for my lost friends instead. And obviously, yes, we should be doing that. But more so, we need to be praying for fellow believers that are stumbling, that are in a blue funk, like Gary Williams says, (laughs) that their eyes would be opened again. We need to be praying for our kids. I planned to say this before Mike Smith made his announcement about the kids. We need to be praying for our kids and their super young faith that the Spirit would give them eyes to see and ears to hear because our discipline and instruction and taking them to church and Bible verse memorization and rearing them the right way alone will only make them moral cultural Christians that will be surprised on that last day. They need to have real life that only comes from God, the Holy Spirit in them. And yes, we should continue all those things obviously. But the Holy Spirit is the only one who will give them authentic joy, an authentic love, an authentic peace, and maturity. By their fruit you will recognize them. Kids that have grown up in the church, you can kind of tell when they've just kind of accepted the culture of the church and the language, and when they have a spirit-filled joy, love, and peace as they interact with people closest to them, as they interact with people in our society? Are you one of those kids that has grown up in the church This morning is an opportunity for you too. Don't just be a cultural Christian that knows how to talk. And, you know, if, if you don't know what to pray for, uh, fellow believers and Kids, pray like Paul prays. I mean, once again, this is one of many prayers prayed in Scripture, and so we can pray this way too. I mean, really, how often do we pray prayers like this? And so just a concluding statement, because God alone enlightens our eyes to the truth, we pray to him to be filled with the Spirit, both for ourselves and others, and our stagnant faith will come alive again. And our joylessness will turn to joy, mediocrity to thriving. And so let's pray and continue to pray with desperation. Let me pray and then we'll be done. Oh, Father God, praise you. You are to be worshiped and glorified. You have been worshiped and glorified, God. Lord, help us to be near to you. Help us, if we're not, to not be content with not being near to you. And show us what it means for us individually, what it means to be near to you. Lord, there are some things we know that you've like, written out very clearly of what it looks like to be near to you. But there's other things that are different for every person. So just, God, we need your help. What does it look like for us not for, my, not for the person over there, what it looks like for them to go all out to you or for you, Lord, but like what does it look like for me to go all out seeking you? And Lord, we do pray for your spirit. Give light to our eyes, Lord. Help us to see the power that we have. Help us to see the hope to which you've called us. It's like without words. And help us to see our sheer worth in your sight. Lord, we forget that, and it's so hard to see that as we go through the grind of daily life. And so, Lord, show us, open up our eyes, enlighten our eyes to how you see us, that we would live as, like, like beloved children of yours. God, help us And uh, go with us, God. I also, we, we know and believe in the power of talking with you in prayer. And so we pray for those people that are sick right now. Thanks for the prayer chain, God. Spur and prompting people to put things on that prayer chain so that they can see your power as their prayers are answered. Lord, we lift up those that are desperate for prayer right now, especially in
1: our congregation. Hear us in Christ's name we pray. Amen.